Greetings, and welcome to Montessori in Action, a podcast for Montessori educators to remind you that you are not alone. I'm your host, Elizabeth Slade, and let's spend some time listening to what is in the hearts and on the minds of other Montessorians. Greetings, listeners, and Happy New Year! Happy 2022! And welcome to Season 2, Episode 7 of Montessori in Action podcast. This month, we host a conversation with two Montessori educators working in elementary classrooms in public Montessori schools. Elizabeth Clay teaches a lower elementary class at Oglesby Elementary School in Chicago, Illinois. She was first introduced to Montessori when she began working at the Montessori School of Inglewood in Chicago. And Margarita Diaz who currently teaches at Breakthrough Montessori Public Charter School in Washington, D.C. Prior to that, she was the first Spanish elementary teacher at LAM, a bilingual Montessori public charter school in Washington, D.C., where she designed the first to fifth grade bilingual curriculum and later went on to be a Montessori coach and the director of the elementary program. These two educators had not spoken or met prior to the conversation, Um, And their discussion was around how children are re-entering elementary classrooms this year following the pandemic disruptions and what they were doing to support them. You can find the ideas they raised in our show notes for how to support children at the second plane. Welcome to Montessori in Action podcast. It is wonderful to be together today. So, Margarita and Elizabeth, since you are just meeting each other for the first time today, I was hoping we could open the conversation by having you introduce yourselves to each other. Sure, I can start. Uh, my name is Margarita Diaz, and I've been working as a Montessori educator for 17 years. Uh, I was the founder of a bilingual Montessori charter school here in D.C., and I work as a coach and later on as an administrator. And this is my first year at Breakthrough Montessori. It's another public charter Montessori school in D.C. And I am so excited uh, to be back in the classroom with my kids. And this so far has been a great year. Hmm. Wonderful. Um, I'm Elizabeth Clay, and I teach at Oglesby Elementary School in Chicago. It's... I teach in a program, a Montessori program that is within a traditional school. So that's unique. Um, And uh, I have been at Oglesby for three years. This is my third year here. And I have been in Montessori uh, um, altogether for eight years. Wonderful. Wonderful. Um, So you're both working in elementary classrooms at public Montessori schools, Elizabeth in lower elementary and Margarita in upper elementary, and you're welcoming children each day who have been impacted by the COVID pandemic. And um, Elizabeth, I was hoping you'd open by sharing just what are you noticing about that and how does that make this year different from, from other years? I have noticed a difference the children this year uh, coming in don't seem to have the stamina to work or the social skills that my group had my first year here 
before the pandemic. Um, and so there, so I've noticed a lot of wandering, um, like they don't know really what to choose. Even after I've given lessons, they're still needing direction from the teachers, um, from me, from my assistant to figure out what to do. We'll give them choices and that happens pretty much the whole day, every day. And we're noticing, I'm noticing like there are a lot of social um, issues that they want to socialize, but when they get together, there are a lot of issues that need to be solved. And some of those issues they're not able to solve on their own yet. So they're always, they're constantly coming to the adults saying, you know, what the problem is and they need our help. Um, so I have been working with my coach to um, give, um, to figure out different grace and courtesy lessons to give mm -hmm. to, um, so when those moments come, they already have uh, the tools they need um, to deal with the social issues. Um, and, but with the choosing work, I have, I will choose the work for them. I'll say, okay, do these three or four things. And that seemed to calm them. Like they, I think they might've had some kind of anxiety um, when it came to choosing what to do. Um, I'm not really sure why, but um, they were really young when the uh, pandemic started and we went remote. So my third year was in first grade. So that means my younger ones were pre-K and kindergarten, and then they did a whole year mm -hmm. of remote. So they're still, I guess, getting used to being back in the classroom, being uh, in school a lot longer, and having way more expectations mm -hmm. than before. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Thank you. You've pulled out some interesting things, and I'm sure, Margaret, you've probably seen the same, but... Here's what I noted. You mentioned a sort of a low stamina for work, difficulty making choices, right? And so less independence, um, both around the academic arena and work, and also you mentioned social issues. So they're needing a lot more support to resolve their social issues. Margaret, um, are you seeing those and others? Yes, I think uh, this is uh, not only in our country, you know, I think it's uh, Worldwide, we are noticing that uh, people that work every day with with our students, and uh, but I also would like to see to say that I also see the students are so happy to be back to school, are so happy to see adults in person, even though they cannot see our smiles, they know when we are smiling, um, and. It's a joy, uh, has been, yes, every day is, there are so many challenges, but there are so many moments of great connections, of laughing together, of just being uh, in a community and sharing. And when we need to stop and uh, redirect, we do it. And I think this is, especially in upper elementary, I do a lot of uh, community meetings. I do daily um, and still I'm doing daily community meetings um, because that's the time where my students get the chance to be leaders 
and to solve problems. So yes, there is a lot of, um, they don't know how to either to talk positively about things that they don't agree. And the message is, we can disagree, but with respect, we have to have those skills. And now the adults, we are the control of error. So this is a little different from our Montessori materials, you know, and so we have to model constantly every day. And uh, I think it is okay for now for them to come to tell us the problems and we kind of redirect them. But the ultimate goal, especially in the upper elementary, is them to solve their, their problems. So I've been working daily and now they are leading those community meetings. And it's so wonderful to see them in those roles as leaders and trying to be part of the solutions. So, uh, Margarita, can you keep going with that? Because I love this turn into thinking about what are the Montessori adaptations that have been made. And Elizabeth, you mentioned a few also, but sort of the, the innovations that you've put into place that are different from the last time you taught, which was pre-pandemic, um, you know, it's probably some of what you were doing, but maybe amplified or anyway, I'd love for you to keep pushing into how are you experiencing this year differently? And what, what have you come upon that's working? I love your mentioning of um, the daily community meetings. And I love also when you said stopping and redirecting as needed, right? To keep the joy high. There's, they are so happy. And yet without us holding those limits, being able to stop when it's going in the wrong direction. Um, and also adults as model. I love when you said adults are now the control of error. <laughs> um, can you talk a little more about how you're fostering independence in students and what you're doing? Yes. So one thing that I adapt in this uh, school year is I am presenting two lessons a day. So I do a group lesson in the meeting after our community meetings. And it's a cultural lesson. You know, we do the great lessons. It's geography, it's history. And in the afternoon is either a language or a math geometry lesson. And so why I'm doing this is because I want them to become independent. And it's literally our students have lost a year and a half. They have not been in the school for a year and a half. So yes, my students, for graders, the last time that they were in a school was in the middle of second grade. So they uh, pretty much are not only behind in reading and math, but the cultural subjects also, you know, the science, the geography, they don't know much about countries around the world. They don't know the capital. So how can we... Um, help them uh, be eager, you know, that love of learning uh, that should happen. And uh, another adaptation that I'm doing is trying always to connect with a story. Could be a story, you know, when we talk about our ancient civilizations, um, the beautiful biography that, that we do, but also try to connect with, with the real events. And I also, sometimes I start with, well, when I was a child or last month, something happened and then I tried to connect. And that's where the, the students like really pay more attention than, than ever what we are talking. And so I think it is, we have to be storytellers. I think uh, Dr. Montessori said that and uh, 
we really have to captivate them. And uh, so I am trying to read and to connect as much as I can with them. But I always notice when I say I am or I did, it's something that immediately they are all paying attention. And so is the sharing also what they start sharing their stories and connect with either the curriculum or with the books that we're reading. So it has been mm-hmm. wonderful. Yeah, boy, the stories are so compelling at any age, right? As humans, we just are so hungry for stories. Um, just to clarify, on the um, two lessons a day, those are two group lessons where your whole class is experiencing something cultural or something. Um to bring them together, fill some knowledge gaps and encourage independence, right? And then you do the other sort of more um, targeted lessons in between those two group lessons? Yes. So, yes. Thank you, Elizabeth, for clarifying that. Yes. So that was uh, whole group lessons. But then I do the one-on-one for students that need that, the small group lessons, uh, mostly math and geometry. I don't do more than three students per lesson. Um, and then I do literacy circles where I invite, depending on the level, four or five students for each group. And I also have a wonderful assistant um, that is helping with um, reading and uh, math facts. So two adults working constantly with our children. Wonderful. Elizabeth, what have you been up to in lower elementary that's supporting this transition? I have been really focusing on what the children need instead of, okay, they're not, even though they're six, seven, eight, they're not where they would be if we've had normal school years. Um, The last couple years for them, they've been through a lot. We had a couple years ago, we had the strike and the pandemic started in one school year. Then we were remote for a year. So, They've been through a lot mm-hmm. and are still going through a lot. So I'm thinking, what do we need? What do they need so that I can get them to do their work? I, how to get them to build the skills that they need, reading and math and in the cultural area. And one little girl made up, she wrote, uh, made these little, she cut out these pieces of paper and wrote each child's name and drew a heart on them. And she passed them out. Um, and they're just, I just want them to be able to express themselves and get what they need, um, socially and emotionally before we get to the academics, because I'm really not going to get anything out of them if I'm just coming in and say, all right, we got to do this, this, and this. You've been out of school out of, um, for this many, for this many uh, months, and we have to do all this work. We have to catch up you guys are so behind and that would be I feel like that would be really discouraging to them but instead I'll say okay I need you to work on these skills but there's like some give and take like okay I'm allowing this to happen which probably I wouldn't have allowed um so much time with poppets and things and and telling these stories during the community meetings but I'm like they you know what, maybe I should have allowed this more before. And now I see that they really need this outlet. And they're not really, maybe some of them really aren't able to express what they're dealing with during this pandemic. Um, And I want them to be able to uh, 
just um, just feel comfortable in this space um, and just pull back, like dial back the um, lessons. If I feel like, oh, this is where you should be, but it's not where they are, it's okay. And I've even had to pull in some primary materials because that's where they are. Like they need, one of my students still needs the spindle boxes, still needs the sound object boxes. It's because that's where she, that's, that's where she is. Um, and some are still really using a, a lot of the primary materials just because they missed that by being, um, by being remote last year. And I have to mm-hmm. fill that in. There's no mm-hmm. point in sitting there trying to do something like a checkerboard with the third year who hasn't been in the classroom since like the almost the end of the school they year when she was the year. first year. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, then I would just have mm-hmm. to sit there with her all day. It, wouldn't, it would just be a fight all day and it wouldn't be fun for anybody. So yeah, just basically just saying it's okay. Okay, you're not here yet. It's okay, but we can work to, we can get there eventually. And they are, they're growing pretty quickly because they aren't, even though they're using primary materials, they kind of progress through them quickly Mm -hmm. because they're older Mm -hmm. and they're getting, oh, okay, I got it. I got it. Okay, I'm ready for the next thing. Mm -hmm. So, Yeah, so using some primary materials, but allowing it to be um, much faster progression to get back. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Um, so I'm wondering if you have questions for each other um, about what's happening in your classrooms or like if you have a, a stumper or something you've been scratching your head about, like what are you doing about X? Do either of you have questions for each other? Um, Margarita, um, what are you doing about I don't know, stamina in your class. Like, how are you getting them to stay focused? Yeah, so uh, it's a it's a good question because I also, uh, I am a teacher educator. Uh, so I teach uh, Montessori teachers. And one of the classes that I teach is classroom management. And so uh, one of the advices is, Yes, we need to uh, receive the kids where they are. And yes, I am giving lower elementary lessons to my upper elementary students. But the advice is we have to give them those lessons and we have to keep them busy because all the problems that might come about discipline, about lack of you know, following up work, it's because either they are bored or it's too difficult. So we need to find that balance and try to be with them, following them, observing them, and plant those seeds, those seeds of learning, that motivation, that eagerness to, to just be excited. I tell them each lesson is a gift. So it's up to you how you will receive that gift. But I'm giving that, that's me giving what I'm giving to you right now. And so, uh, so far I can see that there has been that connection, that connection through the materials, that connection through me, um, that connection among themselves. So I see now some of my students presenting the materials to the kids that are need the most. And, and that's the beauty. That's the beauty about our Montessori environment, that collaboration 
Um, and also, as I said before, every time that we have a problem, we stop, we think, and then we come with solutions. And I think we need to be also friendly with the error and the mistakes that we make because we all are making mistakes. But the most important is what do we do with them? So we rethink and then we come to solutions. And every day, every day we come to another solutions and another problem, but that's, that's the way it has been so far. And it's wonderful. You know, it's, it's, it's a life skill. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So uh, the question that I have uh, for you, Elizabeth, is um, what do you do when uh, you have not that connection with, with parents, you know, because the kids that are need us the most, it's wonderful you, when you have the parent support. But then the question is what do you do when those parents are not in the same page like we would like to be, and it's so hard to send the same message uh, to our students when something very different is happening at home. So I don't know if, if you have that and how you deal with that. Oh, that's a good question. I want all the children to meet their greatest potential, but I know in order for that to really happen, I would really need support from the parents. I mean, they can... They can do great things, but I need the parents' um, support too. But if that, and that's not happening with many of my students, and I have to just tell myself, you know what? I need to do what I can in the classroom. I need to do um, my best, and Mrs. Montgomery, my assistant, like we... We are doing our best to help these children build the skills that they're missing and, um, and send home. We'll, I'll send home work sometimes, say, okay, uh, maybe you know, let the parents know, oh, I'm sending home this homework. Um, they can work on this there. I'm sending home this copy of, we'll use Bob, we use Bob books, and I'll send those, you know, copies of those home. Um, but basically, it's just like making sure I really get to those, making sure we get to those children. Um, I want to get to all of them, but I especially um, want to conference with those children and want to really make sure I see where they are um, because this is pretty much all they're getting as far as education goes um, when they're in my classroom. Um, and. I try not to get too frustrated because it's, there's nothing I can do about that. So there's nothing I can do about mm -hmm. it. So I just need to do what I can and um, just really celebrate the gains the children make when they're in here um, to make them want to do more and to do the work when I send it home. Um, mm. Yeah. I hear, I hear in there the idea about consistent communication with the families, right? They're, like you were talking about sort of the, um, the sphere of control, which is just limited to the classroom. But the sphere of influence is impacted by just consistently continuing to communicate, send the Bob books home, keep making the requests, 
Um, and then I love that you mentioned student conferencing at the end. We nearly finished our conversation without talking how important that is on this return um, to have those individual moments with children. Um, and you said to stay on top of, right, where they are emotionally and academically. So it's great to get student conferencing onto our list of ways to support six to 12-year-olds. Marguerite, have you been able to use student conferencing in your classroom? Yes, yes. Uh, I'm trying to do every month. So every month, at, at least I meet once uh, every, with each of my students once a month. Yes, it's wonderful. It's a way to connect, to know more mm -hmm. about them. Mm -hmm. And yeah, one of the questions is, which lesson would you like me to, to give you? And so... It's great for planning also. <laughs> mm -hmm. And Elizabeth, are you able to do weekly conferences in lower elementary or not quite that frequently? This is something that um, I've been doing like more informal ones, like when it happens. But um, that's um, my one little thing I'm working on with my coach um, is to be more intentional about planning those meetings, have them say, okay, The ones who I really, really, the ones who I see wandering a lot or who are constantly needing that adult support, mm -hmm. um, to meet with them, make sure I meet with them um, like at the beginning of the week and at, get at least two conferences in a, a day to make sure. It, um, and I'm like, so that's what I'm going to do. I'm like, okay, I'm going to plan it and... I need to do it because I know how important it is. And the children love it. When you say, I'm going to meet with you, and you know, mm -hmm. they'll like drop everything. I'm like, okay, wait, not, well, hold, wait, not right now. Um, <laughs> are you going to meet with me? Are you going to meet with me? And they remember. And if you forget, it's mm -hmm. like you need mm -hmm. to remember. Um, and they're really excited and they want to mm -hmm. have a conversation with you. So, um, so yeah, so I am going to be um, really intentional about planning those conferences and having them with the with the children. It's such a nice antidote to Margarita's question about when you're not on the same page as families. Um, the student conferences weekly can be such a nice antidote for that, um, to be bridging what might be um, absent or not happening on the home front is having that individual time. Wonderful. Wonderful. Is there anything coming up for either of you as we're about to close our conversation that you haven't said that you want to share? Sure. I would like to say that um, I'm more intentional about when I teach history in, in our curriculum. Like, uh, you know, in September is Hispanic Heritage Month. So we did biographies of great leaders, Hispanic leaders in our country and worldwide. And they ended up with the oral presentation. They had to write a report and they have to dress up like those characters. Mm -hmm. And it was so wonderful. It was the first time for them to do an oral presentation. And um, so it was a beautiful way to celebrate diversity and inclusiveness. And in November, we did the Indigenous uh, People's Month. So we celebrated every day reading stories about our Uh, Native American people and the strength and the beauty of their culture and their resilience. Um, mm, mm. And so the message always is like love, connection, resilience, be proud of who you are. 
and then for Thanksgiving, I did a real story of Thanksgiving by the Wampanoag tribe. So we did the facts about the Mayflower and the first um, people that came in that boat. And so it was so interesting. And they were like, oh, so that's what really happened. And not just the, you know, the Charlie Brown <laughs> Thanksgiving story that we are very familiar with. And so I think it is very important, I think, that uh, trying to add and include as much uh, diversity as we can. Mm. Mm. Thank you both so much for taking time at the end of your long school day to um, share your great ideas with our listeners. I'm going to post your ideas in the show notes. If you think of any others, send me a message and I'll add to the list. And thank you both so very much for being here. Thank you, Elizabeth. Thank you for having us. Our show is a project of Public Montessori in Action, elevating voices in the community to forward the mission. Our host is Elizabeth Slade. Our producer is Isaac Price Slade. If you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing and sharing it with others. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts.